0: Okay, and we're recording this this meeting as well. So uh, thank you, everyone, again, for joining us. I really appreciate it, especially in the middle of the summer. I know it's tough to make the time. I think this is – and we have some really important issues to discuss today. Just a note, and I'll mention this again, the program today is pretty content-heavy. As you can imagine, when you talk about physician services, dental services, rehab services, they can be really complex issues. So I wanted to really get as much as we, po- get to as much as we possibly can, uh, in this program. But the program will be available, this, this, uh, PowerPoint as a PDF file on our website, www.nursinghome411.org. There will also be a recording of this program that you can access through the website. And then we have a fact sheet that is available for free. You can download it from the website or we can send you copies as well if you want to distribute uh, in your organization or in your community. And you're more than welcome to do that or adopt our materials in any way that you see fit to support your advocacy and your work. So, again, welcome. One last thing before we get started, uh, just a shout-out to the New York State Health Foundation uh, whose support has made these programs possible. So we're really glad to have that. And actually, one more thing before we get started, sorry about that, is that we are – having a, um, a conference for nursing home residents, nursing home families, ombudsmen, advocates, attorneys, people who work with nursing home residents and their families in New York City on November 13th. Uh, I hope that you'll join us. It should be a really, really interesting and hopefully fun event. We're going to get a lot of people together, including people from across the state, we have some funding to pay for travel. Uh, we'll be serving you know lunch, uh, the whole nine yards, right, in New York City. And so we'll be sending out some more information. We'll be posting it on our website in the next couple of weeks. But I hope that you'll join us. Again, that's November 13th in New York City. So without further ado, we're going to get started. And thank you again, everyone, for joining us today. So what I'm going to do is what I always do in these programs, just for people especially who are joining us for the first time, and also because I think it's useful to have a background in terms of the nursing home law and the regulation, a little bit about the Long-Term Care Coalition. We are a nonprofit organization. For those of you who are not familiar with us, we are entirely dedicated to improving care and quality of life for people in nursing homes and in the city of living. Our focus is on policy analysis, so we tend to look at things like what we're talking about today, in terms of the rules and the regulations, and we assess how those rules and regulations are being implemented. And by that I mean we look to see are you know if the standard is there, are nursing home residents able to uh, to in essence enjoy that standard? Are they able to get the good care, the quality of life, and the dignity that the regulations and the law requires? And if they're not, we try to to advocate. For improvements to the law and to its implementation in addition to that or as part of that we do a lot of education of consumers and of families uh, we work with ombudsmen and with other stakeholders uh, I've been with the organization since 2002 it was just my 15th anniversary and I've been the executive director since 2005 so what are we going to be talking about today first as I usually do, I'll provide a brief background on how the nursing home system works, just to give a framework for what we're going to be talking about and to, um, I think, help ensure that you understand, or I hope understand what role that the r- rules and the regulations play or should play in the lives of our nursing home residents. And, again, today's program is focused on nursing homes. Uh, the focus of the program will be on requirements for those who provide positions dental and rehab rehabilitation services to nursing home residents. These are issues that I know I hear about in my advocacy over and over again. So, just get started on the background. Uh, essentially in the United States and in New York State, virtually all nursing homes participate in Medicaid and or Medicare. One of those two programs, usually it's both. In order to participate and participate means that they accept money from one or, one or both of those programs a facility agrees to meet all of the standards provided for in the federal nursing home reform law now states can have additional protections they can have additional standards but no state can have less protection anything pretty much that that we ever talk about in these programs or on the materials on our website relate to those federal standards because they are really the backbone of which should be good care, quality of life, and dignity for nursing home residents. One example um, I'll give you in terms of the difference between the state and the federal requirement. Many states now, most of them in fact, have requirements for minimum staffing uh, in their nursing homes, minimum amount of CNAs, LPNs, and RNs, uh, but some of them don't. And that is, there's not a specific numerical standard in the federal law. Our home state, New York, Unfortunately, it does not have a minimum standard. That is something that um, LTCCC advocates for every year. We're moving along a little bit. We were just talking about this yesterday at a meeting with some state officials. But it is challenging. But you know, staffing, of course, is important. And so that is one example uh, of a difference between what a state can do and what a nursing home can do. But uh, excuse me, what a what the federal government requires. But again, and most importantly, that everything we talk about is required for every single nursing home that takes any amount of money from Medicaid or Medicare generally it's both and most importantly to me is that these federal protections apply to every single resident so if your care is paid for by Medicaid if your care is paid for by Medicare if you're a private pay you know insurance or out of pocket etc it does not matter if you're in a licensed facility you have a right to every single aspect and every single protection that we talk about. Now, just in terms of oversight, how oversight is supposed to work is the last bullet on this frame. The federal agency, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, they contract with the state agencies. In New York, that's the State Department of Health to ensure that residents are protected and receive the services that they need and that they deserve. Now, most states... They, uh, they inspect the nursing home. They do a survey about once a year. But in actuality, every state is responsible. Every state agency like DOH is responsible for ensuring that these standards are met 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, 52 weeks out of the year. There is no time at which it's appropriate for these standards not to be met, not on the night shift, not on the weekend, not on Christmas, et cetera nursing homes have these responsibilities every day because it's such an important responsibility for residents. So a little bit about the nursing home reform law, and nursing home reform law is really the basis for all the standards that we have in this country. The federal law requires that every single nursing home resident, as I said before, is provided the care and quality of life services, including staffing, including sufficient staffing, to attain and maintain his or her highest, practicable physical, emotional, and social well-being. I know that, that that is a mouthful, highest practicable physical, emotional, and social well-being. And to my mind, this is really uh, something that's very special about the nursing reform law. Some laws, for instance, if you think about laws that apply to the automobile industry, that they say, you know, that uh, GM has to have a certain uh, amount of uh, – um gas mileage per car, you know, for their across their fleet by 2020 or 2030 or whatever. Those regulations apply to the facility excuse me to the industry and what the industry is doing. The nursing home reform law, on the other hand, really applies to the resident. So it gets back to what is the resident capable of doing? What should the resident be capable of doing if he or she had the appropriate services and supports. So the Nursing Home Reform Law is really, I think, very special in that in that regard. And it really, in essence, recognizes how, one, we're all individuals, but importantly, that we are human beings no matter where we are in the course of our, of our lives. Uh, it is not appropriate, as you can. Imagine this is something that really, really bugs me. But, you know, someone says, oh, they're old or or whatever. But it is not appropriate for the <laughs> facilities to consider, oh, that someone might, you know, someone's needs or someone's abilities were not that great. You know, the person had dementia or the person was in a wheelchair or both. And so, therefore, their lives don't really matter as much. That is not what the law says, and that is not what we should expect. And as I've been saying now for 15 years, that is not what I envision myself expecting if I live to be 80 or 90 or older. Importantly, and some of these we'll talk about today, but the law lays out some really good and specific standards in terms of resident rights, in terms of care, in terms of resident choice, and dignity and autonomy. And so that is why I think, as an advocate, that ensuring that families and residents and ombudsmen and attorneys and other advocates who work with them have an understanding or at least clued in in, in some way to what is going on with the reform law and with the regulations because it speaks to all of these things. And if we don't know about these rights, it makes it very difficult for us to advocate for them, for our residents. Lastly, the law passed in 1987, and the regulations that came out of that law came out in 1991. And those regulations have been in place until uh, last year. So what's happening now is that for the first time since 1991, the federal regulatory system was significantly revised and updated. And they went across the board. They changed all the regulations. This will affect every aspect of care and, and quality of life in the nursing home. So just very briefly, all the regulations changed. So everything that nursing homes, inspectors, the surveyors, ombudsmen, advocates, family members knew about the rules, that has all changed. The guidelines, and we're going to talk about guidelines actually a fair amount today. The guidelines detail, they spell out what is expected of nursing homes. That has changed. And then lastly here, the system used by nursing home inspectors When they cite a facility, it's called the FTEG system, Federal Tags, that has changed as well. Why do I mention that? We're not surveyors here. Um, You know, we generally don't go into the details as um, family members or ombudsmen to that extent. However, I wanted to give you all a sense of something that really has concerned me over the last year or two and that will concern me going forward, and that is that with all these changes taking place, if we are concerned now have been concerned over the years about residents having the ability to live with dignity, receiving the care and services that they need and to which they're entitled, well, this could actually exacerbate that. It could make it even worse because the system has changed. So inspectors will be confused. Nursing homes may say that they're confused. And so to me, again, it was really important for us to have the ability to work with families and residents and ombudsmen and other advocates to plug in and say, you know what, if we're not aware of what our rights are, then again we cannot we can advocate for them. Why does it matter to us in a nutshell, stronger rules, hopefully leading to better enforcement, will result in a better resident care. <laughs> As I said here, hopefully and I certainly you know again there's that back and forth is yes there, there's a lot in the new regulations that is good, but the change and adapting to that change and implementing it over the next couple of years is something about which I'm very concerned. Why is this important to us? As I've said a couple of times now, I think that if we're not prepared, if we don't know what our rights are as this system is being implemented in every state, in every nursing home across the country, then it's not possible for us to advocate for them. As I mentioned at the beginning, I just want to be really clear. My goal here in this program is to plug in with you and, and let you know that these rules are out there, let you know some of the rights that support good resident care, choice, dignity, etc. But there's no need to feel like you have to memorize uh, or to take a lot of notes. All of this is available on, on the website right now. The program recording will be available. You're more than welcome to use and share that as you see fit. And at the end we'll talk about we have a fact sheet that we put out with every monthly program that you are welcome to have. We're happy to send out hard copies or you can download the, the copies from the website. But the goal here is to really plug in to let you know that these rights exist and then to give you some of the tools in the future. So if a problem does come up, for instance, in terms of, access to a rehab services or dental problems that we can um that you have a place to go to access information that you can use so now we're going to get to the heart of i just want to check and see i see a couple of comments here um, okay a couple people were disconnected and hopefully they joined um they, they joined with us again so today we're talking about the federal nursing home standards for physician services rehab services, and dental services. Why are we talking about these things? Because this is something, as I mentioned earlier, that I hear about frequently from residents, from their families, from ahmedsmen and other advocates in terms of choice of a doctor, in terms of many people don't even know who their doctor is or who's providing care to them. Uh, access to therapy services is an incredibly big issue for many residents in both Medicaid and Medicare, et cetera. So there's a lot of questions out there that I think, you know, we could provide you with some good tools and information to help assist you and support your, your further advocacy. So number one is these are the basic requirements for physician services. So, what I do for, for all of this, as you can see at the top of the screen, 42 CFR 483.30. You don't need to memorize it. You don't have to worry about writing it down. The reason why I put this here for every requirement that we talk about is because I don't want you to be concerned that, you know, you heard it from me and if you're in your nursing home or if you're advocating on, you know, on any level, talking about some of these issues with someone in the community, that it's something that, you know, oh, some guy on the webinar said uh, that, you know, that, that Richard said it, but, you know, who even knows where that came from. You can see exactly, with all the materials that we provide, where it comes from. That's from the Code of Federal Regulations. So just for your information and for future reference. So here it says, and everything we have in italics comes directly. It's excerpted from the federal regulations. The facility must ensure, this is the requirements for physician services, the facility must ensure that the medical care of each resident is supervised by a physician. And that when that physician is not there, the regular physician, that there is someone else available to, another doctor I should say, to provide that level of supervision. And here I included, this is directly from the federal guidelines, the intent is not my language, this is the language of the federal government. The intent of this regulation is to ensure the medical supervision of the care of each resident by a physician and that orders for the resident's immediate care needs are provided throughout the resident stay. So here, and again, you can see it is dense. I apologize, I know, because a lot of it it is um, it's dense. But I really wanted to just plug in with you because I hear so often from people that they don't know who their doctor is or they don't know that they have a choice of doctor. So I really wanted to give you some details. But, again, all this is free. You can go to our website. You can download it. You can copy and paste things that are of interest to you. And we have the short fact sheets at the end of the program. So this is, again, from the guidance from the federal government. When we, when they talk about the term attending physician or physician, that could include a non-physician practitioner, NPP, and I defined it on the side here. Non-NPP is a non-physician practitioner. could be a nurse practitioner, a clinical nurse specialist, or a physician assistant. So one of those two people have to be, be providing this ongoing clinical supervision and care. So that person, but there, there's, 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 restrictions in terms of what a NPP, a non-physician practitioner, can do, and we'll talk about that, so you have that information as well. Um, the, The physician is responsible for supervising the medical care of residents. That means participating in the resident's assessment and care planning, monitoring changes in residents' medical status, and providing consultation or treatment when contacted by the facility. It also includes, but is not limited to, Prescribing medications and therapy, ordering a resident's transfer to the hospital, conducting required routine visits, we'll talk more about that, or delegating to and supervising follow-up visits by the non-physician practitioner, the MPP. Now, by the way, everything here in orange, if you're looking on the webinar, that's all new language in the new regulations. So you'll see a lot of places where they really added, added from the old language to try to ensure, again, this is an issue we've seen for years is that no one knows who their doctor, you know, a lot of people don't know who their doctor is, or the doctor is never there. Things are happening with the resident, and they don't know where to turn because the doctor is just not available. Or there's, you know, the doctor's prescribing medication from the car, from, you know, by phone, et cetera, and there's no contact with the resident. So you see in the orange here, and you see why I wanted to focus on this, is that there really has to be an involvement with uh, by the attending physician. So here at the bottom paragraph, this is all new, it is the responsibility of the facility to ensure that another physician supervises the care of the resident when the attending physician is unavailable. He or she may designate another physician to act on his or her behalf. If the attending physician is unavailable and does not designate another physician to act on his or her behalf, the designated physician uh, or the excuse me, the designated physician is unavailable, the facility must have a physician available who will supervise the care of the resident. That is a required must. They have to have that. They can't say it's a Sunday. They can't say it's a holiday. That is why it's 24 hour day skilled nursing care. I wanted to, as you see, I called it out here in a little tab on the, in yellow on the right hand side. Can a resident choose his or her doctor? This is an issue that um, we see over and over and over again, and about which I know that there's a lot of confusion. I know it's something that can be very challenging um, to advocate on behalf of a resident or, or as a resident for for oneself, but there are significant rights and protections in terms of choosing uh, a doctor. So I really wanted to detail some of that here. As you can see, because there's so much orange, a lot of this is new. CMS recognized that people were not being given the ability to have the choice that the law requires. So the resident has the right to choose his or her attending position. The physician must be licensed to practice, and if the position chosen by the resident refuses to or does not meet requirements specified in this part, this is the part we're talking four, four, excuse me, 42 CFR 483.10D, you can see it right at the top, this is it pretty much in its entirety. So if the, if the, um, resident refuses to or does not make requirements, I'm sorry, if the physician chosen by the resident refuses to or does not meet requirements specified in this part, the facility may seek alternative, alternate physician participation, pardon me, as specified in paragraphs D4 and 5, which are below, of this section to assure provision of appropriate and adequate care and treatment the facility must ensure that each resident remains informed of the name, specialty, and way of contacting the physician and other primary care professionals responsible for his or her care. I want to say that again. The facility must ensure that each resident remains informed of the name, specialty, and way of contacting his or her physician. Period. That to me, you know, when I was reading this and when I was writing this um, over the last uh, last weekend, and double checking the code just to make sure that you know I had quoted everything correctly, there there were so many residents who I thought about, who I've talked to over the years, who didn't know who their doctor was, um, or didn't even really uh, weren't aware that they if they had a doctor or not. So I thought this was this was really important. Uh, number four, the facility must inform the resident if the facility determines that the position chosen by the resident is unable or unwilling to meet requirements specified in this part and the facility is going to seek alternative physician participation to assure provision of appropriate and adequate care and treatment. You see it over and over again. The facility is responsible for assuring provision of and adequate care and treatment by a physician. So, here we're talking about if they're seeking an alternative, if the resident's choice is not able to work in, in the facility, maybe they don't take Medicaid, maybe, um, uh, you know, there could, there, there could be, you know, a variety of reasons. But this is a challenge that we see over and over again. So, here, the facility must discuss the alternative physician participation with the resident and honor the resident's preferences. If any among options, and then lastly, if the resident selects another attending physician who meets the requirements specified here, the facility must honor that choice. I just want to say again, I know that this is a very challenging issue, and a lot of the issues we talk about are challenging. That's why we're talking about them. That's why we're here, and that's why we we do what we do, you know, in nursing homes, uh, etc., because. Too often, residents don't have the the ability to appreciate or to receive some of the services and some of the rights that exist in the regulations and exist in the law. So I know it's challenging. I know it's tough. What I want to do, what I hope to do here, is to give you some tools to help in your advocacy on these issues going forward. The next issue we're going to talk about is Frequency of physician visits. What is required? How often does the physician have to come to the nursing home to see the resident? So it's very clear. The resident must be seen by a physician at least once every 30 days in the first 90 days after they're admitted to the facility, and after that, at least once every 60 days. A physician visit is considered timely if it occurs within 10 days. So you know they do give the physician some leeway. And then except as provided, basically below, all required physician visits must be made by the physician personally. The exception is one, at the option of the physician, this is number four, um, and it's the exact numbering from the federal regulations. At the option of the physician, required visits in nursing homes after the first visit can alternate between personal visits by the doctor and visits by Another practicing professional, such as a physician assistant, nurse practitioner, or clinical nurse specialist. The other exception here, I didn't write it in um, that we talk about, is that states can have some exceptions for people who are able to, to practice, as you know, in many ways as doctors traditionally have, such as nurse practitioners, etc. So there's only two exceptions. One is that, again, at the option of the physician. They can alternate visits between uh, him or her, the doctor, and a physician's assistant, nurse practitioner, or clinical nurse specialist, or if state regulation allows it, that one of those practitioners can, can as well be changed out for the doctor under very limited circumstances. So what this means, in short, is that we are really requiring, we being, being the U.S. government, are requiring that the physician have an active involvement with what is going on with the resident. And as you can see here, I thought this was important, must be seen at the bottom. For purposes of number one, must be seen means that the physician or the the professional practitioner must make actual face-to-face contact with the resident and at the same physical location not via a telehealth arrangement. So we have to have that face-to-face contact. Again, the orange is new. It's not something that I particularly emphasize, but it is something that I think is important and for us to know and to think about. And again, don't worry about taking notes. These materials will be on the website, and a lot of it is covered as much as possible in the two-page fact sheet that we, um, we have as well. I'll talk about it at the end. I included a little bit more information here. I know that sometimes we get people on the call that have that want more details, so I included this chart here. I'm not gonna talk about it, but I also wanted to mention, you could see in blue on the right-hand side, that throughout the regulations, there is a requirement that a nursing home follow its own written policies in respect to physician services. So these are, again, minimum standards. This is the least that is required of anyone who, any nursing home that participates in Medicare or Medicaid. But if a facility is saying, oh, you know, you'll be seen by a doctor and it's written policies under certain circumstances or certain conditions, they must follow that and they can be cited for not following that. And they could be held accountable, most importantly, for not following that. So that is something else that's important, and important support. Uh, people should be able to count on what they're told they're going to receive when they go into a facility. And so that is, I think, an important way in which the government and the survey system recognizes that. We're going to move on now to rehabilitation services. And I thought it was really interesting the way that they they phrased this. So, again, I put at the top of the page the Code of Federal regulations. This is also in the fact sheet. It's on all the materials available on the website, not critical for you to know in your daily work, but just a good reference um, so that you uh, they know it's there and you know where you can find more information. So if specialized rehabilitative services such as but not limited to physical therapy, speech-language pathology, occupational therapy, etc., cetera, um, uh, or services excuse me, of a lesser intensity as set forth in, in, in the regulations are required, in the resident's comprehensive care plan, the facility must, must provide the required services or obtain the required services from an outside source that is a provider of those specialized rehabilitative services. So, again, the there are, it comes down to, I'm sorry, it really comes down to the resident's comprehensive care plan. And this is something that I talk a lot and think about a lot. Talk about a lot when I when I do programs and think about because to me the care plan is really the essence. It's the it, it, it's the, the the place where it, it is supposed to be determined what the resident's care is going to be based upon his or her comprehensive assessment. So you have an assessment, you have the care plan that results from that assessment. There's a lot of good stuff in the new regulations about ensuring that a Resident or the resident's family or other representatives can take part in an active way in the care planning. So here you have the care plan, and those specialized rehab services must come out of the care plan. That is what the facility is required to provide. The intent of this regulation at the bottom now is to ensure that every resident receives specialized rehabilitative services, as determined by the comprehensive plan of care to assist them to attain, maintain, or restore their highest practicable level of physical, mental, functional, and psychosocial well-being. And as I said before, um, when we talked about the nursing reform law, I know that it's a mouthful, but if you really think about it, it means it's what you are able to achieve as an individual. And I'll use the example of my Aunt Hilda, who was in, a nursing home on Long Island for many years and she lived to be over 100 and she was going to occupational therapy. They were helping her to walk up and down the hallway and I remember going to visit her and my my mother and my aunt were kind of laughing because she was close to 100 years old and she was getting occupational therapy and they thought, you know, like what occupation is she going to have? She's, you know, long, 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 long since retired. Well, what that means is that, you know, they were helping her walk up and down the hallway to ensure that she did not lose that ability. As long as she was able to, could functionally walk, she should not be, she should not be in a position where she is losing the ability to walk because there's not the services or the staff to ensure that she can maintain that ability. That, that's what we talk about when we talk about highest practicable. So it's, To me, it's really such an, it's a mouthful, but it's such an important foundation of everything that we have a right to expect for our residents. I want to include the definition of specialized rehabilitative services because I didn't want people to think that it means that, you know, something different from basic rehab or that it was only for special, under special circumstances. So here's, this is again, it's all new. You can see it's all in orange and it's directly from the Regulations and guidelines. Specialized rehabilitative services includes but is not limited to physical therapy, speech language pathology, occupational therapy, respiratory therapy, etc. Um, they are specialized in that they are provided based on each resident's individual assessed rehabilitative needs based on their comprehensive plan of care and can only be performed by or under the supervision of a qualified of, excuse me. Of qualified personnel, these services must be provided by the facility or an outside source, and delivered by qualified personnel who are acting within the state's scope of practice laws and regulations. Meaning that people have the uh, the right, uh, either through licensure or certification, to be providing those services um, as practitioners. The facility must provide or arrange for the provision of specialized rehabilitative services to all residents that require these services for the appropriate length of time as assessed in their comprehensive plan of care. These services are considered a facility service provided to all residents who need them based on their comprehensive plan of care and are included within the scope of facility services. Thus, excuse me, lastly, care provided by all facility staff must be coordinated and consistent with the specialized rehabilitative services provided by qualified personnel. So just to take a step back here, I mean, I thought this was incredibly, incredibly meaningful, that we are talking again, and they say it over and over and over again, that the services are specialized because they are tailored to the individual. They're tailored to what he or she wants, his or her goals, etc. The services must be provided uh, sufficiently and with enough professionalism by the facility to ensure that the resident is able to achieve and maintain his or her highest practicable well-being. And lastly, and I thought this was really interesting, that the care provided by the facility staff must, must, not may, must be coordinated and consistent with those rehab services. So again, we're really focused here on the, on the resident, on what his or her needs are, and how the facility is meeting those. And, and I think a lot of this language is really, really valuable and really important, uh, in supporting our advocacy to make sure that people get the care and the services that they need. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what CMS, this is again the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, what they tell state surveyors to look for when they're inspecting. Um, so for each of the services noted above, surveyors should excuse me, should determine through information obtained by observation, by interviews, and by review of resident records that the facility not only deliver these services, but that the services and interventions were monitored for their effectiveness and assisted residents to attain or maintain their highest practicable level of physical, mental, functional, and psychosocial well-being or to prevent or slow a decline in condition. So all these are so, so important. I just, I, I can't overestimate how important this is because we see cases over and over again of residents being told, well, you're not improving, uh, we're not giving you any more services. Or, you know, why should we give you services? You're, you know, you're never going to do X, Y, and Z again. That is not appropriate. So this language gives you the ability, gives you a leg, I, I would say, to stand on and to substantiate, uh, support, excuse me, your advocacy going forward. So I hope that this is, this is useful. I find it very useful because a lot of these issues, again, they're tough. I'm not saying that tomorrow we're going to be able to change the world for nursing home residents, but in some small ways I think we can, and I hope that you can, and I hope that these materials are helpful in that way. I'm going to move on now, and the last section is on dental services. Again, I know this is a very content-heavy program, even more so than usual, but all these resources, all this information is available on our website, nursinghome.com. 411.org. It's all free, and I'm really happy for anyone, any organization to take it and use it as they see fit, as well as individuals, family councils, resident councils, Amazon programs, etc. We, you know, my goal and our goal is to support your advocacy. Uh, So, lastly, requirements for dental services: the facility must assist residents in obtaining routine and twenty four hour emergency dental care. What is the that's that's the basic regulatory standard. What is the intent? And again everything here that's italicized, all that orange, is directly from the CMS federal requirements. The intent is to ensure that residents obtain needed dental services, including routine dental services, to ensure the facility provides the assistance needed or requested to obtain these services to ensure the resident is not inappropriately charged for these services, and if a referral does not occur within three business days, documentation of the facilities to ensure that the resident can still eat and drink adequately while waiting dental services, and documentation about the extenuating circumstances that led to the delay. One of the things that's to be honest, upset me over the years. In the 15 years I've been doing this, is when I see someone who needs services, and days, sometimes weeks, sometimes even months go by, and those services are not um, either provided by the nursing home or arranged for by the nursing home. And it's, you know, it could be dental services, which could include uh, getting a new bridge. Um, it could be eyeglasses. It could be a hearing aid. That is. It it, it really bothers me because it affects quality of life uh, at the very least. And here, as you can see, when they talk about being able to eat and drink adequately, it, it certainly can relate directly or indirectly to clinical conditions as well. So this is something It's really CMS being very clear again in this new language that they have to arrange for it promptly. And if it's not happening within three business days, making sure that the resident can eat, and drink, and also that they have to say why, what happened here. A few definitions in terms of dental services emergency dental services, they include services needed to treat an episode of acute pain in the teeth, gums, or palate, a broken or otherwise damaged tooth or teeth, or any other problem of the oral cavity that requires immediate attention by a dentist. Promptly. Promptly means again within three business days or less from the time of the loss or damage or injury to dentures, you know, or, or, or other harm, something that's going on in the person's mouth, like a cavity or pain, etc. But if someone is in, obviously they're in excruciating or acute pain, um, they need to be cared for immediately, not not three days. No one should be be in pain. And I've had dental issues for my entire adult life, so I know three days. Um, would not be a good thing. Three hours would would not be a good thing. Uh, I wanted to include a bit here about the guidance for the requirements of dental services, just to give you an idea, because I know that there are differences here between someone who's Medicare and private pay or Medicaid, so I just wanted to just give you a sense of, of how CMS addresses those differences. So most importantly, fundamentally, a dentist must be available for each resident, period. The dentist can be directly employed by the facility or have a a contractual relationship um, with the facility. The facility may also choose to have a written agreement for dentist services from a dental clinic, dental school, or a dental hygienist, all of whom are working, excuse me, under the direct supervision of the dentist. So what that means essentially is that if you have people that can't afford dental care, can't afford to hire a private dentist, Uh, and the facility or their, their insurance is not covering it, that the nursing home is making some arrangement with the dental school or a dental clinic, et cetera, to make sure that those services are arranged appropriately for each resident. Now, for Medicare and private pay residents, facilities are responsible for having the services available but may bill an additional charge for those services. For Medicaid residents, The facility must provide all emergency dental services and those routine dental services to the extent covered under the Medicaid state plan. So that differs a bit from state to state. Uh, The facility must inform the resident of the deduction for the incurred medical expenses available under the Medicaid state plan and must assist the resident in applying for the deduction under Medicaid. If any resident is not able to pay for dental services, the facility should attempt to find alternative funding sources or delivery systems. Again, we're talking about, as I mentioned before, um, having a contract or a, an agreement with a dental school or for, you know, a dental clinic, etc. The facility must assist residents in making arrangements for transportation to their dental appointments when necessary or requested by the resident or the resident's representative. The facility should attempt to minimize the financial burden on the resident by finding the lowest cost or no-cost transportation option to dental health appointments. So you really see here that the I think now especially with all the orange is again all new um, that they're really thinking about how are we effectuating some of these standards for the resident to make sure that you know the standards are there. They've been there basically since 1987. How, through the guidelines, are we saying this is what we expect to see happen? And so I think this is really instructive for uh, us as residents, uh, families, uh, and other advocates, but also for nursing homes who may not know um, and or, or may not be aware of different things that are available to them or different things for which they're responsible. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to recap. This is a picture of the fact sheet that is now up on our website, and every month we send out, along with an invitation for next month's program, we send out copies of the fact sheet to anyone who's interested. So if you're interested in being on our mailing list, uh, please email Sarah. Again, it's S-A-R-A at L as in Larry, T as in Tom, C-C-C, O R G. but just for a quick recap, um, if you look here on the left-hand side, we have again the requirements of, for physician services. Everything here just includes in brackets that code of regulation, code of federal regulations. Excuse me. So you have a way of saying, you know, it's not just you heard from me, but you can go back or someone else can go back if you're using this to support your advocacy. But the facility must ensure that the medical care of each resident is supervised by a physician. We talk about what does that mean to be supervised. It means participating in the resident's assessment and care planning, monitoring changes, et cetera. Uh, We talk about the choice of attending physician, how each resident has a choice. And I want to give here some background in terms of how that choice is effectuated, because I know it can be uh, very challenging for people. So we gave a little bit of background here, um, but residents important. Thing to remember that residents do have a choice of attending physician. Frequency of physician visits is that the resident has to see the physician in person, and vice versa on a regular basis. So that's important for families to know. It's important, obviously, for residents to know, and it's important for people who work with them to know that they have a right to see that that, that individual, that practitioner, in person uh, on a, a regular time schedule. Next, on the second page, we have specialized rehab services and dental services. So I wanted to give you the information here that the facility has a responsibility to provide the required services uh, or to obtain them from an outside source. The intent of the regulation is to ensure that every resident receives specialized rehab services as determined by their comprehensive care plan. And why why do they have those services? They get the services that they need to assist them to attain, maintain, or restore their highest practicable level of physical, mental, functional, and psychosocial well-being. Lastly, dental services. The facility must assist residents in obtaining both routine and 24-hour emergency dental care. If you are in pain, you don't have to wait. You, know, you should not be waiting till the next day. facility should be, you know, if it's 11 o'clock at night, or it's, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, et cetera. 24-hour-a-day emergency dental care is accessible to everyone, and if anyone has had a toothache, um, you know how important that is. We talk a little bit about the intent of the guidelines and what the guidelines say for Medicare and for Medicaid residents as well as for people who cannot pay for their residents who can't pay for their own dental services. So I'm just going to take a quick look. I see there's some... Comments or questions, and I will try to address them, and then I'm going to open up the line. So I know we had a couple issues with sound, but I think people got back on. Uh, okay. And sorry. Okay, so someone, Pam, had asked, oh, no, I'm sorry, Pat had asked, regarding residents choosing their position, does insurance view this as a duplication of services and as such will not cover it? Um, well, the the Resident has the right to choose their physician within, generally speaking, what the insurance will provide. So the point of the choosing the physician is essentially that the facility cannot have, um, c- cannot dictate who your doctor is. But you are limited to what your insurance will pay for, uh, and if your insurance won't pay for a certain physician to come in then you can pay for that position yourself, and then, again, that person, um, that, that, that doctor would come under the same requirements of the nursing home. Either they would gain access to the nursing home, the nursing home would say they have credentials, et cetera, or not. But the point really is that nursing home can't say we're only going to give credentials to our doctor, and therefore you have to choose our doctor. So I hope that makes sense. Essentially, you know, it's not du- duplicative services because – it has to go through either, you know, if you have insurance, what your insurance is, and if you don't have insurance, what your uh, ability to pay for privately, and then that they have access to the nursing home. And the point is that the nursing home can't put up um, uh, barriers to a licensed practitioner to come into their facility to provide you services. Um, Pam asked, uh, I'm in New York, and once a resident goes to Medicaid, Managed care, they lose their primary MD who does not work within the managed care network. Well, this is in New York and in many states now. We have um, mandatory uh, Medicaid managed care for long-term care for residents in nursing homes. So that is really, to be honest, a managed care issue. Um, People, especially people in nursing homes, do have the right to choose their. I mean, everyone has the right to choose their managed care plan, but there are additional protections. For nursing home residents in terms of changing plans. But that is, again, you know, when we change insurance companies with my organization, I've had to change doctors and that insurance plan, not so much a nursing home residence rights uh, plan, oh, excuse me, um, nursing home resident rights. So, uh, issue. So it's a little bit different. I'm sorry I don't have a definitive answer on that. It really comes back to being able to navigate the insurance and Medicaid managed care in New York. There are, um, there is the ICAN ombudsman program, excuse me, ICANN that can possibly help you with that. And I would recommend checking with them. Um, Pam also asked, as for physical therapy, it is not really an outside source. It is an on-site concession. Uh, It doesn't really matter. I mean, the facility is responsible for arranging it either by someone that they are bringing in or someone that they have on staff. Um, okay. Uh, Pam asked, I've never seen dental in a care plan or even seen a dentist on site. Uh, well, that's troubling. I mean, that's one reason why I thought this was an important thing. There, there's 700 pages of regulation and guidance, so, uh, you know, we're doing these programs for a year. Clearly, it would be uh, pretty pretty boring <laughs> and pretty difficult to go through all of them. But I thought dental was important for that very reason because I know of too many people who don't have access to dental, dental care. So uh, you can see here, and you, again, you could use this language. That's why I keep on reiterating that it's anything in italics here is directly from the federal regulations. You can take it, you can print it out, you can bring it with you if you're a uh, family member or if you want to distribute this to family members or residents but they do have a right to do dental care. It could be that the facility is arranging for them to do it off the premises, which, as I said, um, is fine, but the facility needs to help them to do that. Uh, one last question here, and I'm going to open it up. Does does resident have the right to choose to see a physician off-site? That's a good question. Now, I have knowing that I mean, it depends. I would say on the insurance that the resident has and what that insurance allows. So you know, there could be, a, to be honest, I would say a number of different issues there. Uh, the resident's capacity to leave, whether it's safe. I mean, it's not, uh, as we often say, it's not a prison. Uh, so a facility should make it possible for virtually all residents. Um, you know, except under very special circumstances to leave the facility under appropriate, um, you know, with appropriate help, et cetera, and supervision as needed. But um, so I would say, yes, the basic right is there. They can go to a position off-site, but there might be particulars depending upon the resident, his or her abilities and needs and his or her, and who's paying for her care, is it her insurance, whether it's private or Medicaid or Medicare, that could have an effect on that. So I'm going to open it up. If it's too, uh, if it gets to be too staticky or something, because I open it up, I'm going to close it up again. And then you could press star six to open up your um, your phone. So just give me one second, please. Oops. Oops. Sorry about that. Hi, so are there any questions or comments? Uh, I'm just looking at a couple of comments that came in. Um, right, so Pam said she's seen residents opt to see an outside physician. They get hit with a big bill because the MD was not in the Medicaid network. And that's why it, it is. It really, um, it, yeah. it really is contingent upon the insurance that the person has. Um, and what's important is that they are operating, uh, you know, and taking action, making appointments, and going to doctors, knowing what yeah. the um, parameters are of their insurance. So those can be it can be difficult issues, especially if. They're not getting the help that they need from their nursing home. I would say, I'm not sure if you're in New York or not, but in New York we do have the managed care plan now. So with going through the managed care plan, that should be an easy way of finding out. Any other state? If, you're, if you would be other belong to other states that are in a managed care plan, they can um, you can check with that managed care plan. Great. Uh, any other questions or comments? Okay, so someone, Hamilton asked, can you please state if the time has been determined for the conference on November 13th, uh, 2017? Yes. So we're going to get started uh, around 10 o'clock, roughly. Uh, I'm going to look at the train and and transportation schedules again. But we essentially, uh, this is really New York State focus, but we want to get people from across the state who are able to come. And what I'm hoping to do is just, you know, once again, look at before we finalize the schedule uh, to ensure that someone's coming from Long Island, Westchester, um, Hudson Valley, Albany area that they, uh, or from, you know, points west, you know, northwest that that are they're driving in, that they have the ability to drive in in the morning. So I'm thinking about 10 o'clock. And we will have facilities for people from the different regional offices, uh, along with the ombudsman and hopefully some family members to come in on Sunday and stay overnight. We actually have some hotel rooms that we have um, through the New York Health Foundation of funding to pay for that. So we'll be giving more details. Please, again, uh, email Sarah at LCCCC.org. And we would love to get – I'm just going to shut this off right now. We, um, oh, my God. But I think it's going to be a really great day. I'm going to be speaking. Uh, we have Toby Edelman, who is one of the leading advocates in the country on nursing home care, coming up from D.C. as a special guest speaker. She also works on nursing home standards, but she does a lot of work in terms of uh, other Medicare uh, and Medicaid rights issues for people in nursing homes. So she's going to speak especially to some of those. Uh, I'm really happy to say that we will have someone from the State Long-Term Care Amazon Program coming down, and they will be joining us as well. We're going to have a panel discussion. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it will be a great day, but we're going to get started um, You know, probably around 10-ish, and we're going to end around 2, 2.30, so people have the ability to travel in and out either that day or people coming from uh, far outside of the New York metro area, um, they can come in the night before. And we have some room for that. So please do email us. It'll also be, and you know, we'll be sending out some information as well. Thank you, everyone, very much for joining us. I hope you enjoy the rest of your summer. I hope this was useful. Again, I apologize. I know it was very content-heavy, but to me, as you can see, there, there were so many things here in terms of access to a doctor, access to dentists, access to rehab services that were really important. Uh, so I hope it's useful, and thank you again for joining us. Have a wonderful rest of summer. Bye-bye now.